Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. Welcome to another spine-tingling episode of the Kaiju Cast, the only podcast that I'm aware of that is 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle, and I'll be the guy talking your ear off and playing music from the land called Japan for the next hour. We have another special episode for you. You might even say ultra-special. My guest this month is Ultraman aficionado Bob Johnson. But before we find out how many times I can say ultra in the next hour, I want to say happy Thanksgiving to everyone listening. And let's kick off the show with Masaru Sato's main title from Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla.
You have just heard a small sampling of Awesome, starting with the track from Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. Following that, your senses were subjected to Minya's Lesson by Kunio Miyochi from Godzilla's Revenge. After that, I played the Alpha versus the Black Shark, at least the first uh, battle theme there, by Akira Ifukube from Latitude Zero. And then I wrapped things up with Kiryu Team's theme number two by Michiru Oshima from Godzilla x Mechagodzilla. Following the normal format for the show, it is now time to introduce this month's guest, my good friend Bob Johnson. If you're an avid listener, you'll know the familiar phrase that I use during my news segments, my friends over at Sci-Fi Japan. Well, I consider Bob to be one of those friends. He and I worked on the Henshin Online website together, and now Bob, along with Keith Aiken and a myriad of scoop-tracking Godzilla fans, run the popular SciFiJapan.com. But he's here right now to share the wonder of Ultraman with you all. Thank you very much for joining us tonight, Bob. Hey, thanks a lot, Kyle. Fun to be here. So as a kid, I never actually got to see any Ultraman stuff, um, just Spectreman and Space Giants. And it wasn't until we started working together that um, August made me a VHS tape of the show. And I sort of look at Ultraman the same way I look at the original Star Trek series. It's, it's kind of a little bit campy, and the effects might not be as good or as impressive as a Godzilla movie, but it's a, a lot of fun. Let me interject here. Please. You know, if you look at the original Ultraman from 1966, um, a lot of the better episodes are almost like mini Toho movies. And some of the effects are actually almost on a par. Obviously, they didn't have as big a budget, but it was Eiji Tsuburaya doing the effects on Ultraman, just as he was doing in uh, for Godzilla prior to that. So, how did you? How did it all start for you? How did you get into Ultraman specifically? Well, you know, a lot of people on the internet keep saying that Ultraman, the 1966 series, first came over here in the 70s, but. Uh, that's totally wrong because uh, I remember in uh, the late 60s, Channel 20 here in the San Francisco Bay Area used to show it uh, back when they were chemo TV. It was part of Froggy's Clubhouse in the afternoons. So I used to be able to sit there and watch Ultraman when I was uh, <coughs> dating myself here. I was about uh, seven or eight at the time. And so, you know, I got to grow up basically with Ultraman and since I was a little kid. And uh, I was probably watching Ultraman even before I really started getting into Godzilla. So Ultraman was really it for me from the start. So Ultraman was a precursor. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, us being kids, you know, we would, like, watch Ultraman. And then we'd all go out in the lot behind the house. And some would be monsters. Some would be Ultraman. We'd just beat the crap out of each other. But, nice. uh, you know, hey, that's all part of being a kid and watching Ultraman. But, now, uh, yeah, who, who got to make the cross the cross beam with their arm? Did you guys take oh, turns? We, yeah, we we had to definitely sh- switch off on that. You know, everybody wanted to be Ultraman, but only one could be Ultraman at a time. Can only be one Ultraman until cool. the later series. But that's another that's a whole other story because I didn't even know there were other Ultraman until uh, years later. I would discover that. Now I do know that there are a lot of Ultraman shows out there. I mean, this thing has been going on since the '60s. Subaraya has pretty much put something out like every time you turn around, from what it seems to me. But uh, what's your favorite series out there? Well, I mean, obviously the, the original has the nostalgic quality and the nostalgic appeal for me, just because I grew up with it. But uh, Ultra Seven is really good. That's sort of the great mix between sort of hard science fiction and Rubber Monster Fun. And then uh, Return of Ultraman, about the first half of the series, was on a par with with Ultra 7, and then it started getting a little silly after that. And uh, what they did to try to appeal to higher ratings is to make it a little more childlike. And that would kind of be a trend through a lot of the other series. Although uh, you do have some high points, uh, Ultraman Leo... Uh, was pretty much a high point. Ultraman 80 was sort of a throwback to uh, to the more serious type Ultraman series. So uh, there were quite a few uh, that were really good. You know, in the later series, Ultraman Nexus uh, is really serious and kind of dark. And uh, that's a really good example of, along with the movie Ultraman the Next, of what Ultraman could be. 
if you know handled seriously and, and on adult level. You mentioned some of those series out there, just to give the listeners and myself an idea of the time frame you're talking about. Like, ult- when was Ultraman Leo? When when was that put out? Uh, Ultraman Leo was 1974. Okay. So uh, that sort of hit towards the uh, middle part of the big superhero boom of the 70s. There are basically cycles over there in Japan. It's like, you know, Godzilla started the big monster boom, and then Ultraman came along and started the giant superhero boom. And then Kamen Rider came around in uh, 1971 and kind of started the uh, sort of normal-sized Henshin hero. And so Ultraman Leo kind of came in in the midst of that. It's sort of in the wacky phase of Ultraman where a lot of the designs for the uh, uniforms and the cars and everything else were pretty wild, but uh, it still had more of a serious tone. And then Ultraman Nexus? Is that a newer one? Yeah, basically uh, they tried to kind of relaunch the Ultraman series. Again, you know, it's something very serious. And This was uh, in the, gosh, I think uh, uh, early 2000s. And uh, basically, they started with Ultraman the Next, which was a very serious film. It actually had some really good CG effects in it. And then they followed that up with uh, Ultraman Nexus. But the problem with Nexus was that it was an adult-oriented series, but TBS, the station over in Japan, network in Japan, put it on in a kiddie time slot. Mm. So the kids couldn't quite relate to it because it was too adult. And the adults didn't really know it existed because it was on in a kiddie time slot, and it didn't do too well. So after that, it kind of went. They went back to like uh, Ultraman Max and uh, Ultraman Mebius, which were more of your kind of traditional Ultraman shows. Now I did see Ultraman the Next, and I did enjoy it. I remember that because that was when we were both working on Henshin. Yeah, we showed it here at the Castro Theater as part of the Ultraman show we put on. And uh, it went over really well with the audience. And I think if it had a wider, well, if it had any kind of release over here, it played, you know, a few festivals and things. But I think if it had a wider release, it actually probably would have done fairly well. So in the tiny amount of Ultraman that I have seen, I enjoyed seeing the recycled suits from the Toho monsters, like Baragon's body comes to mind. Um, And while there are probably hundreds of Ultraman monsters, and uh, some pieces were recycled as the shows went on, I feel that the creature designs from those shows, certainly they show a lot of of imagination. And I particularly like the designs um, of a lot of Ultraman monsters, specifically the dragon horse like uh, Dodonga. Uh That's a good one. But it seemed like the Ultraman series had the ability to really explore origins of some of these monsters a little bit more than the Godzilla series. They kind of seem to have at least uh, a lot more information about the monsters. Well, what really amazes me is, uh, you know, there's close to, I think, over 400 episodes of uh, Ultraman series over the years. And so you think of how many monsters they had to come up with. And even today, they continue to come up with unique designs and original designs. I mean, you'd think they'd, after a series or two, they'd run out of ideas, but they just keep keep cranking them out. And as far as... uh, the recycled suits go, you know, they started that like right in the first episode of Ultra Q, the monster Gomez was basically uh, was basically Godzilla with some plating and fur and fangs and horns stuck on him. And uh, then they reused the Godzilla suit again in Ultraman and for Giras in, in uh, episode 10, where they put the big fin on his back and around his neck, actually. And... Uh, you know, Ultraman, of course, rips that off in the middle of the battle, and oh, hey, look, it's Godzilla. Yes, but, right. Uh, <laughs> They've got that. They do have that one instance of Godzilla fighting Ultraman. That's right. And, and then Baragon was just butchered. You know, he he was Naranga, and uh, he was also in a couple other episodes. So I think that pretty much accounted for why you don't see him in Destroy All Monsters. Right. That's right. Because <laughs> Ag had pretty much pinched the suit and cut it up a few times if you look at like the movie gorath mm-hmm. the ships in there are basically the vtols that would show up later in ultraman yes yeah and actually yeah. jim walsh and i were talking about that on one of the episodes that uh that yeah. was the first first time he had seen or first time anybody had seen the uh the vtol there and then showed it up later in ultraman 
Great ship, by the right. way. Oh yeah, that's that's a classic. So yeah, you know, basically since Eiji Tsuburaya had done all the Godzilla films up to that point, and he had started his own Tsuburaya Productions and started making Ultra Q and Ultraman, he had carte blanche. He could just wander over to Toho and say, hmm, I, that suit looks good, or that prop looks good. I think I'll use that in my show. I liked how they uh, reused Bemular in the uh-huh. later episode. I don't remember the name of the monster, but he's, you know, it's basically the same suit inside, but he's got big ears and the, like, robot claw hands. Yeah. Great. Gango. That, yeah, that is a cool episode. Yeah. That's the one with the the meteor, right? That comes to right, Earth. and he makes the you could make a wish on the meteor, it would come true. That was one of the episodes that was definitely played for laughs, and and that's kind of the cool thing about Ultraman too is you had your serious episodes, and then you'd have your humorous episodes. Uh, even you know from I mean the very first episode was serious, and then episode number two was the first Balton episode, and that was sort of narrated by Ito. And uh, definitely played for laughs, um, and, and and good laughs. I mean, later later shows like maybe Ultraman Cosmos, which came out in uh, in early two thousands. That one uh, that played a lot for laughs and kind of embarrassingly. But mm. uh, but you know the the earlier series when they uh, when they do a humorous episode, it was actually well written. You know, if you look back at uh, Masanori Nihei, if you look at him, he was actually a pretty adept comic actor. Uh, when you watch Ultraman, maybe when you're when you're younger and you just think that Ito is this silly guy running around on screen, but then later on you you watch it and you realize, you know, just how good his comic timing was. You know, almost like Jonathan Harris on Lost in Space. Yeah, actually, I really like the original Science Patrol team. Those guys really had it together. It seemed. You know, you had oh, you had all your your archetypes in there. That's right. You've got the plucky comic, and you've got the big tough guy, and you've got the um, you know clearly you've got the hero, and then there's uh, unfortunately the the damsel in distress. <laughs> yeah, and then the boss man. That's right. And then and then uh, the kid later on too. You know the who mysteriously disappeared partway through the series. Oh, did he? <laughs> oh yeah, Hoshino was in a lot. You know, a lot of the episode, the early episodes. And uh, I think the last episode you see him in, you see him in the Zerab episode with the evil Ultraman. And then you also see him in uh, the Memphilos episode. And then he just kind of mysteriously is no longer there. Yeah, see. Every, one, of the, one of the mysteries of Ultraman. Yeah, every all those things you just talked about are like so beyond me. I had no idea <laughs> that I just I have I need to watch more Ultraman. I mean, I I purchased those sets that came out a while ago. At first I was like, "Oh, this is awesome because I, I you know, I'm able to watch the Ultraman show, but when I was able to plug them into a decent stereo and have the, the sound just like switches dramatically when it flips back and forth between Japanese and English, it's really kind of sours the watching experience." Uh yeah, that set was pretty poorly done. And there's a whole convoluted backstory on that. Mm. But uh, basically, they had gotten, since it wasn't licensed through Subaraya, they were kind of working with whatever materials they were provided or whatever materials they found. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, the audio, tra- the English audio tracks they found for that were from edited episodes. And they were kind of under the impression that, well, these parts of the episode were never really translated, so we'll just keep them in Japanese and subtitle them. Well, in fact, if you look at the original Ultraman series, none of those episodes are really edited. There's a couple little cuts for blood. Mm-hmm. Like in, like there's an, an episode with Red King where he's in a fight and he uh, bites Chandler's wing and there's some blood comes out. You know, that's just like a really quick cut. There's also the Skydon episode, which uh, kind of centers on things that fall from the sky, including the monster. And just sort of as a joke at the end, uh, Arashi, well, the Science Patrol on a little picnic, and Arashi gets a, a bird craps on his shoulder, basically. That was cut from the American version. But other than that, they were all intact, and every single line was translated into English. So... Um, they just had incomplete audio tracks, and it definitely suffered because of that. Is there any sort of light at the end of the tunnel for Ultraman fans getting good quality stateside 
DVD releases of the original series and, and even further in, like Ultra 7 and so forth? Well, there's nothing on the immediate horizon, but Subaru was basically portions of the company were bought by TYO, which is a large production company in Japan, uh, and also Bandai. So between Bandai and TYO, I believe they own about 51% of the company. And they definitely have their eyes more on the international market than Subaru had in the recent past. So there is hope. It's just a matter of uh, what direction they go in. And since the purchase is relatively new, I think they're still plotting and planning. But uh, with any luck, hopefully we'll get some things going over here. Um, you know, the, I think the Ultraman set that's out now has pretty much run its course. And I think if if that had done any anything, it might have just saturated the market for that series. Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay, if they're going to do a new box set, it's like, well, everybody who wanted to own it probably owns it now. Will they buy it again? Right. Which, uh, you know, if it's an upgrade, sure, the fans will, but general audiences probably not and for something like that to be a a success or to be profitable they have to kind of appeal beyond the fan circles so that might have killed the market for for the original series but you never know you know if uh, they've done upgrades to to dvds before it's definitely a trend so you could obviously do it with that you know I, i think if anything it would be more likely you would see new series that are made in Japan that, that they would try to uh, release over here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, if you look at Ultraman's history in the United States, you know, the original series was released and it was well done. But then after that, you know, you have, you've got the Ultra 7 series that was dubbed in Canada that uh, was basically done campy or humorously shown on TNT for a while, but definitely not a huge hit. Uh, you had the Australian co-production, which was Ultraman Towards the Future. That only, uh, that amazingly was only 13 episodes, but ran in syndication here for quite a while. Uh, they made a deal, basically, where they would set, they would basically give that series to TV stations and syndication basically for free. But they had pre-sold X amount of commercials in the series, which is where they made their money. And then they left other commercial spots blank for the for the local stations to run their ads. And so since it was a free series, any ads they sold, it was all pure profit. Yeah. So, for example, Channel 44 here in the Bay Area, they were showing that series like a year straight, Monday through Friday, two episodes from 4 a.m. to 5 a.m. So if you think about it, a 13-episode series, you're showing 10 episodes a week. So every eight days, you've seen the entire series, and it just ran over and over and over for a whole year. Wow. That's, uh, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. <laughs> but, you know, and then there's, there's been other, you know, spotty releases here and there. You know, Image released the two, uh, the Ultraman Tiga, Ultraman Dyna movie, and uh, Ultraman Gaia um, you know, movie that those came out and did okay, but not great. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think there's been a big push for Ultraman over here. And, uh, and of course, Ultraman Tiga was on four kids or Fox kids or whatever it was. Uh, that's uh, right. I was totally <laughs> tiger. My son, tiger and I were watching that religiously when it was on. Yes, you know, that's another one where it was dubbed humorously and, you know, kind of campy. But the the good thing that came out of that was they re-released it as uh, four DVD sets, the entire series subtitled. And so, you know, Tiga, Ultraman Tiga is basically a very good series, and we've got the whole series subtitled over here. That was really probably the best release of an Ultra series, aside from the quality dub of the original that we've had over here if somebody wanted to just dive head first into ultraman and uh like really explore the universe you know they're not in japan where would you suggest they start would it be the tiga series 
good luck. No, um, <laughs> I mean, really, the only, you know, if you want to look at officially released product, it's basically the original Ultraman and Ultraman Tiga right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, the other Ultra series are out there for the finding. If you want to buy imported discs or you want to, uh, you know, scour eBay or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one good way to get a taste of it is just to go to YouTube, type in Ultraman, and there's clips from just about every series on there. You can at least get a taste, see which one you might like, and then go on your hunt. You know, uh, I just got back from Japan recently, and when I was over there, I ended up buying the whole DVD set from uh, Ultraman Leo just because I only had like a portion of the series, and I thought, well, you know, here's my chance to get the whole thing in one swoop. But again, you're watching the whole series without subtitles. If you don't understand Japanese or mm-hmm. whatever, then you know. not that it's that hard to follow. But uh, some people just don't want to get that far into it. They want their subtitles or they want their dubs. Yeah, I like to make up my own stories when when I'm watching those without subtitles. There you go. <laughs> Depends on how imaginative you are. Yes, exactly. Otherwise, you're just going to keep up keep the same story going all over and over again. That's right. What uh, anything else happened when you were in Japan? Any other cool things you'd like to share with the listeners? Well, you know, Ultraman wise, aside from buying some DVDs and toys, there wasn't a lot to experience over there. Amazingly, the hotel that we stayed at had a vending machine that had uh, Ultraman soda. So I was trying to uh, collect all the Ultraman soda cans, the different cans, and. Uh, it was just this really, really bad tasting, like bubblegum soda. Mm. So it's pretty much buy it, dump the soda out, and save the cans. But uh, I had like a suitcase full of cans when I came home. But, don't let uh, your wife recycle those. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I saw her crushing them out back recently. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, uh, we did go to Toho, which was amazing. And uh, basically, we got a really nice tour of Toho. And got to see a couple of the secret rooms, as they called them. Uh, the one where we got to go in, and uh, and they brought in this box, and we're wondering what what is in this box? It's a huge box, and they set it down on a table and opened it up, and there was the oxygen destroyer. So uh, we got to marvel and hold it and take pictures with the oxygen destroyer, and they brought out uh, Akihito Hirata's diving helmet from the original Godzilla. We're in. He was holding the uh, oxygen destroyer, and they brought out this whole beat-up helmet that we we were looking at it like, man, it looks familiar. It turns out like a, a side character was wearing it in uh, Destroy All Monsters. Hmm. And then uh, we went over to another little room where they had uh, what's left of the suits and props, which isn't much. There's some uh, it was like a Godzilla 2000 head and uh, GMK sort of animatronic bust. Yeah. And uh, there's a Megagirus in there and an Orga and uh, things like that. But, uh, yeah, and then from there we walked up the street to where Subriot Productions used to be. And uh, it's now a big empty lot. And so Subriot Productions is basically offices in another area of Tokyo and computers because a lot of it is all CG now. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of getting, they still use the suit actors, but they're all acting in front of like green screens. And then they computer generate all the backgrounds and all the, uh, all the, uh, scenery and everything. So not quite the place where people used to go and they'd have the suit loft with all the suits in there and decaying and dusty and whatever. But, uh, but Japan was a pretty amazing place. I mean, just to go and, you know, here I am, old as I am, and that was my first trip over, but uh, it was definitely a lot of fun. Uh, ten days, and we could have stayed there at least three more weeks, I think. Nice. Yeah, see, now I'm jealous, and you gotta everybody, go. who's you gotta gonna, go. everybody who's listening is going gonna, is gonna to be super jealous. Um, You've got to go. And uh, yeah, we also- I'm going to need pictures of, uh, like, the good pictures, not just the Facebook ones, of, of like, you holding the oxygen destroyer so that I can make <laughs> references to how large it is. Okay. So I can make my own. It's like holding a piece of history. I mean, that was – the only thing I could compare that to 
is when Keith and I went to Bob Burns' place down in Hollywood, and uh, he brought out he brought us up to this one room and he had the King Kong armature there up there. Oh yeah. We were looking at that like, wow. We were taking pictures and he's like, well, here, let me put it on the table so you can get a better look. Yeah. And we thought, we're like, wow, he's, you know, he's moving that thing. And he goes, you want to hold it? And we're like, oh my God. That's cool. You know? man. And then you, you kind of realize what you're holding in your hand. It's like, this is a piece of cinematic history right here. And it was sort of the same thing with the oxygen destroyer when you're holding it and you Part of you is thinking, wow, this is you know cinematic history. And the other part is thinking, if I drop this, I am so screwed. What do you think that was made out of? Like- it was definitely made out of heavy metal and glass. Yeah. It was like lead and glass. It was a heavy, heavy piece. So that's no cheap old uh, production prop made of resin. It's not, yeah, it's not like plastic. It's not like... Like when we went to Bob Burns' place and he said, here, this is the original cane head from the Wolfman. And it turned out it was like rubber or plastic. Or yeah. I was like, oh, you know, it's supposed to be a silver cane head. It's plastic. But yeah, the oxygen destroyer is, is real, real material. Very cool. Real deal. Very cool. Cool. So um, thank you very much for hanging out and talking with me tonight. Hey, no problem. It's a blast. We'll have to get back together and do a more in-depth episode of Ultraman stuff when people start clamoring to hear uh, like what you're talking about. Well, what the hell? That's foreign language he was talking there. Yeah. <laughs> Who are all those people? Who are all those monsters? Everybody go and do your homework and then come back for the next episode. Excellent. Yes, it's an educational experience listening to the Kaiju cast. That's right. Read chapter three through nine of Ultraman and then <laughs> come back for the next episode. All right, so some uh, extra good news is that Bob has selected some songs for us to hear from the Ultraman universe. What are we going to hear first, Bob? Uh, First track coming up is uh, Battle Level from the series Ultraman Max. Awesome. Let's roll it.
Oh boy, oh boy. I don't know if you guys are like me, but I'm glad that that last track ended the way it did because it, it was really just amping me up a little too much. And I think I would have destroyed some stuff here in the studio. That was a block of ultra music courtesy of Bob Johnson, who actually, I should also mention, uh, donated a ton of the music. I mentioned that a few shows ago. But if it weren't for Bob and Jim Walsh hooking me up with a lot of the Godzilla music that you have been listening to in the recent shows, this show would be an awful lot more boring. But let's talk about that music. We started off with Battle Level from Kuniaki Hajima from Ultraman Max, and then followed that up with Monsters vs. Ultraman from Tohru Fuyuki. That was from Return of Ultraman. And then that last track was from Ultraman the Next. It was that, you know, guitar rock from, uh, and it was the theme from Ultraman the Next, performed by Tak Matsumoto. So earlier in the year, when I went to G-Fest, I had the opportunity to watch a cut of Showdown of the Gods, a short uh, fan-slash-independent film about a Godzilla fanatic with a wife that doesn't really appreciate his fanaticism, and his life doesn't seem to be going anywhere, and he not only needs a change for his family, but also himself. The whole thing somewhat culminates when he signs up for a trivia showdown with a famous Godzilla historian, and there's a rare limited-edition toy on the line. The film was presented at G-Fest by Robert Trock, and I had a brief conversation with him there, but I finally caught up with him online, and we just basically hooked up for this interview. And so here is that interview. All right, I'm sitting here with Robert Trock, who's a Godzilla fan and a toy collector. He's been a contributor to the genre in more than one way for many years, and now he's wrapped up post-production on a fan film called Showdown of the Gods. Robert, welcome to the Kaiju Cast. Thanks for the intro, Kyle. Glad to be here. Uh, tell us a little bit about the history behind Showdown of the Gods. Well, it started, I have, my collection got so big at one point, my toy collection, that I built this room uh, in, in our garage, and I moved everything back there. It's where I build model kits now, too. <clears throat> I got hundreds of, maybe even, probably thousands of <laughs> Japanese toys back there. And uh, a friend of mine, Jesus must have been, I'm thinking 2002 or so, he he uh, writes his own, uh, he's a screenwriter, he's been doing a lot of indie films, especially the last five or six years. And at that time, he had gotten the bug. And he came into that room once for the first time and saw the stuff, and he was blown away. He had two reactions. He's blown away, and also he, he said, this is really, really sick. <laughs> he says, I love it. I can respect that. He says, there's, there's a script in here somewhere. Nice. Uh, and I said, okay, well, whenever you're ready. And every now and then, I would talk to him and say, I'm still working on that. He didn't have an angle for it yet. Mm -hmm. And then several years later, he was in a... Uh, we have these restaurants here in New York, uh, sushi restaurants called Monster Sushi. And the original one actually used to be called Godzilla Sushi. So they got a cease and desist for that. Of course. And he was, I think every Friday he said he would have sushi with his daughter in this place. And he was sitting there once and suddenly the idea hit him. He just said, oh, I got it. So he wrote a basic script and he sent it to his friend uh, Jim Cyril, who was the co-writer out in California, who added, jeez, uh, I didn't even see the original script, but according to Aaron, he added so much to it. And then Aaron just calls me out of the blue one day, says, oh, we got this script for the movie. He said, would you like to read it? I said, yeah. So I did, and I like the idea. And he said, well, we want to make this thing. So I said, okay, well... <laughs> Uh, whatever help you need from me. And he says, well, if you can make any uh, suggestions to the script, which I did, and I don't think any of them were used anyway. But I did. And then he had, they got started on very quickly. They found a director, a young guy, uh, who was actually willing to put some of his own money in, so I think that helped him make the decision. Nice. Because there wasn't really any money for the thing. And uh, they started... 
shooting, and they didn't have a couple of the main parts were still not cast yet. The, the main uh, the main character is a guy called uh, Jesse, who's, who's a huge Godzilla toy collector. He's married, has a daughter. He's in a dead end job. His wife is this uh, kind of A type personality attorney, and she's about had it with him. And uh, he, we didn't have anybody for that part till I think about the day of a couple of days before shooting or something. So the director knew a guy in France who worked for his mother. His mother has a uh, acting company out in France that uh, was willing to come out, who was a big Godzilla fan. He came out and he did the part and he did actually a great job. So he came in and there was still no part for the uh, sushi restaurant owner. There was a couple names being tossed around that, that fell through. And a couple of days before, uh, I think it was four days actually into the shoot, there was nobody cast. And Jim had been trying to get George Takei because he had originally thought all along that's what he'd love to see in the park. And finally, George Takei was, was available. He was going to be here in New York. He wasn't cheap, but uh, Jim jumped at it, got him for one night, and rearranged the shooting schedule. He came out. And he, uh, a real pro, he was there all night. The guy, I think at the time, was 72 or something. He got there probably 11 at night and went till about 6 in the morning. Everyone else was flagging, and George is just like an old pro. Just kept going. Energy was strong. (laughs) He looked great. Awesome. So he came in, and uh, yes, George Takei is in Showtown of the Gods. Yeah, so I saw this at G-Fest um, well, I saw a version of it at G-Fest with a whole bunch of people in that uh, big auditorium. Um, and it seemed like it went over pretty well. How has the reaction been so far, not just from Godzilla fans, but also from the general public? Yeah, it's it's definitely, we found it. It's, it's a fan film for sure. The general public, most of them, I don't think really get it. Mm-hmm. The best reaction have been from the from the fans. Yeah, the Godzilla fans, or maybe the, the sci-fi, the toy collectors. The Star Trek ones, I haven't seen any reaction really much from any of them yet. Yeah. <clears throat> it's got to be a pretty uh, big draw to have Takei in there. Yeah, you would think. Yeah. So what did you get to work with uh, Mr. Sulu at all? Yeah, I was there uh, the night that they shot. I wanted to make sure I was there because I've always loved that guy. Yeah. George Takei. And everything you hear about him is true. He's a really nice guy. He's uh, signing autographs for everybody, pictures. I got him to sign a Rodin uh, uh, reproduction because when I first walked in and saw him that night, I said, George, and it was, I think, 50 years ago that year, I think. So it was 50 years ago that you dubbed uh, a part in Rodin. And he was, most people don't remember that. And he was very mystified about uh, why I, even what I saw in Godzilla, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't really quite get it. <laughs> but he, ha- he has a great sense of humor. Uh, he, uh, there's nothing you can say about him that's uh, negative. Everything is true. Very cool. Very cool. So what yeah. are your plans going forward with this film? Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share with my listeners? Yes. The DVD is now for sale. Uh, You can get it through our website at uh, www.showdownofthegods, and that's G-O-D-Z, dot com. And mostly what I'd like is for fans to see it and let us know what they think, Mm -hmm. because a lot have still not seen it. I don't even know how many are even aware that it exists except for maybe more the hardcore ones that go to G-Fest and that kind of thing. And we're going to be putting an ad in G-Fan mm-hmm. to uh, get the word out. Yeah, spread the word. Uh, if if it 
uh, if it gets a very good reaction and anyone out there has any money and <laughs> wants to make a sequel, that would certainly be possible. Oh, yeah, DVD also has a good commentary track on it, too, that we did. Oh, cool. To kind of explain uh, the ending and so forth. Because we only had Decay one night, so we couldn't shoot the ending quite the way we wanted. It would have probably cost another $15,000 or something. So that was totally out of the question. Cool. Well, I'll definitely have a link to your website in the show notes so anybody can check it out at any time. And uh, hopefully you guys will get some good reactions from the fans. Yes, any other words for fans? If you're ever thinking of making a film, uh, think very hard if you really want to do it because (laughs) this thing was so many problems. Uh, Make sure you have the right people to help you if you ever plan on doing this well. (laughs) That would be one huge word of advice I'd give. Right on. Cool. Yeah. So if any of you fans out there have any response or any kind of comments that you'd like to pass on, definitely let me know and I will get them to Robert. Robert, thanks a lot for joining me tonight here at the Kaiju Cast. I appreciate your time very much. Thank you, Kyle. It's a pleasure to be one of the uh, names on the uh, on the wall of fame of the Kaiju cast now. <laughs> yeah, someday. Someday it'll be a wall of fame right now. It's just kind of like some people I met. <laughs> thanks again. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to me tonight. Oh, thanks. Thanks for your call and thanks for your interview. I'll be in touch, man. I am also very happy to report that earlier this month, on November 3rd, a bunch of friends here and... Uh, in Portland, went with me to the film music production of Gamera vs. Giron. If you listened to my last show, you heard me talking about it, and if you've been following the Facebook KaijuCast stuff, um, you know that I had a terrific time. But I just wanted to give a brief little review and sort of a shout-out to the whole process. Basically, you go and you, you sit in the theater just like you'd go see any movie, but instead of there being a soundtrack playing with the movie... Everything is done live. So you have a six-piece ensemble playing music and voice actors and live Foley artists all doing everything right there on the spot. It was really super cool. And it's Gamera versus Giron. And I don't know about you guys, but of all of the Showa series from Gamera, that is definitely my favorite film. Um, Most likely it's from the Mystery Science Theater treatment because I thought it was really funny. But aside from that, it's got that same sort of campy humor in the dubbed version that, you know, you come to expect from a Gamera film pre-1995. So as you know, I interviewed Galen Huckins last month for the Halloween episode, and we talked a little bit about it. And I just have to say, they did an amazing job. The whole thing from start to finish was just an unreal production. And it was funny in the places it was supposed to be funny and mind-blowing in the places it wasn't supposed to be funny. A lot of times you'll sit there and you'll forget that you're actually not watching a movie, which I think is their goal. So if this ever starts touring, I'll let everybody know. It probably won't be Gamera versus Giron, but Galen did say at one point that if they were going to do another monster movie, they were looking at Gappa, and that's prime kaiju cast review fodder. So kudos to Galen and all of the people who contributed to the film music project for Gamera vs. Giron. You can expect a much better written review to appear on the blog sometime soon, but uh, for now, it's time for a little bit of a news break. This is United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. Oh boy, it has been a long time since I've done the news. At least it feels that way to me. So uh, for those who haven't heard or haven't heard the earlier shows, it's time for me to swipe other stories from other news sites. If you haven't heard me say this before, I just pick out what I consider to be relevant information that I think my listeners would want to hear. That's why I always point people to the original stories, which you can find those in the show notes, which you'll hear me say a bunch. And also, you know, consistently check those websites if you're interested in Godzilla-related news. SciFiJapan.com, August Blog. If you even go to the uh, Monster Zero discussion boards, you can find a lot of news information on those. So let's go ahead and get things started, since we talked about Ultraman earlier. This relevant piece of info comes from Sci-Fi Japan. 
James Ballard has written a review of the brand new Ultra film, Mega Monster Battle Ultra Legend. He speaks very highly of the film and makes me hopeful that I'll be able to see it in the near future. I'll have a link right uh, below the music track for this review. Then, uh, did you hear last month's episode where I scratched the surface, just a little tiny, itty-bitty scratch on the surface of yokai lore? If you found that interesting, check out what went down in San Francisco's Japantown last month. Matt Alt, co-author of Yokai Attack, gave a presentation at the end of the month. It sounded like a super cool lecture, and I would love to see another rendition of it someday. He talked about the different goblins and what you do when you encounter them. Sci-Fi Japan has posted a submission from Melanie Bourgeois and Dan Ross on the subject. Next up, if you have ever wondered who that henshin hero is teamed up with Godzilla in the 70s, and I'm not talking about Jed Jaguar, you need to head over and check out James Ballard's Zone Fighter series guide. It's an exhaustive compilation of bite-sized synopses for each episode, cast and crew listings, a translation of the theme song, monster stats, and even a translated interview with series actress Kazumi Kitahara. I'm sure if you ever get a hold of those unsubtitled DVDs, a guide like this would be very, very useful. And finally, the Korean Megabox Japanese Film Festival, also known as JMF, showcased the Heisei Gamera trilogy this month, and uh, director Shusuke Kaneko was invited to attend. You can check out the announcement from earlier this month at uh, scifijapan.com, and of course, I will have the link in the show notes. That about wraps things up here. As always, I'd like to say that if you found the KaijuCast through iTunes or some other podcast directory and would like to visit the website, just point your browser at kaijucast.com and you'll be able to access not just the current show and previous shows, but also the show notes, the links to other handy websites like scifijapan.com. Vote in the polls, order a limited edition print as long as they last, and you can also send me an email. That is right. I love hearing from you guys. It's really great uh, to get feedback for the show. And uh, I enjoy, you know, shooting the breeze via the email about Godzilla stuff. And I hope to continue to get great feedback from you, too. So just drop me a line by emailing controller at kaijucast.com, and I'll make sure to write you back. Oh, and don't forget to vote in this month's poll question, which is... If a legitimate quality English language Ultraman box set was released on DVD, would you be interested in buying it? I think that will do it. We certainly covered a lot tonight, but I want to thank my guests on the show, Bob Johnson and Robert Trock. Make sure to check out those show notes for more in-depth links to some of the topics we covered this evening. And as usual, I'm not going to let you leave before subjecting you to another round of music. So we'll wrap this up with four songs starting with Gamera vs. Zegra Saucer. Jamata! Ja,